Well, good morning once again, church. As always, it's a joy to worship the Lord together in song. It's especially great to celebrate our mothers this morning. And now we come around God's word to hear what he has to say to us. And if you are new or newer here this morning, again, we are just so glad you've joined us here at ECC. So this week we are continuing our series, going verse by verse through the letter to the Philippians. And last week, if you were here, we looked at verses 18 through 21 of chapter 1, and we ended on that famous verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what we saw there was that Christ was honored by us thinking and speaking like that, because when we say to live is Christ and to die is gain, it shows that we really believe that Jesus is better, and that's honoring to Jesus. And this week, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the verses following verses 21. And here, what we're going to see is the Bible explain what to live as Christ and to die as gain really looks like. And that simply will be our big question throughout the morning and will lead to our outline here this morning. So again, we're starting at verse 21, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's the subject of our section. But this morning, we're going to focus on what that really looks like what it really means, and we'll do so by asking two very basic questions. First, we're going to ask, what does it look like to live in such a way where you really say to live as Christ? And then second, we're going to ask, what does it really look like to live in such a way where you really believe to die is gain? It's that simple. Because as we know, the Bible says this, you've probably heard this verse many times, to live is Christ and to die is gain, but what does it really look like? And that's what verses 21 and 20 through 26 are going to help us with this morning. So we're going to answer those questions, and then as we end our message, we're going to come back and apply this to ourselves in the current culture that we live in. But before we do get into those two sections and break down the text that way, to begin, I actually want us to, to feel the text as it stands. Because our two main topics will be to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I want us to see that these aren't just organized in this paragraph in a nice, neat way. Instead, as you might have noticed in the scripture reading, Paul talks about these topics back and forth. And he does so almost in a, in a muddled sort of way. And the reason for this is because what we're reading here this morning, brothers and sisters, in this passage is we're reading the words of a man who's writing on paper and can't really decide if he's going to live or if he's going to die. And that leads him to writing, even in the original language, some jumbled sentences here, some jumbled grammar. And you can see this for yourself, how he's torn. Look at verse 22. Right after verse 21, he says, If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. And so he doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't choose if he wants to live or if he wants to go ahead and die. And then he continues in verse 23, being honest about his struggle, saying, I'm hard-pressed between the two, between these two outcomes. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he's hard-pressed between these two things, life and death. And the reason for this indecision is because his desires are torn. Because as we just see there in verse 23, on the one hand, he desires to depart and go be with Christ. But on the other hand, he desires to stay and help the Philippians, which is what we see in 24 through 26. We'll read those now. He says, Convinced of, or, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again. 
And so you can probably sense this, this feeling. He's torn. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And just so you know, in case you're wondering, verses 25 and 26 there, those verses are especially difficult. And commentators famously love to debate what's going on there because, as you might have seen, it seems in 25 and 26 that Paul now knows that he's definitely going to live, which is weird because in verses 22 and 23, he doesn't know. And then importantly, in chapter 217, if you're curious, he comes back to saying he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. So the question is, what's going on in these verses? And people love to debate, and it's interesting to read the ideas. And and personally, I take the view that 24 through 26 there could be read conditionally, meaning Paul's saying, if I live, I'm convinced that I'll remain and help you all in the faith. I think that's probably what's going on. But either way, I think, honestly, that issue is less important. More important is us feeling the tension, this internal debate between life and death, how he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. Just like, honestly, we don't know when we're going to keep living and when we're going to die. And it's in this context that he shares with us what it looks like to say to live is Christ and what it looks like to say to die is gain. Which brings us back to our outline. So the struggle that he felt, we feel the, the text and the tension between life and death. But now we're going to break down into these two major topics of life and death, asking our questions which brings us to our first question. So our first question is, but what does it look like to be somebody who says to live is Christ? Because we can throw that around, right? We love, often Christians love throwing terms around and kind of using them in a vague way, but does it, what does it really look like? Well, the Bible's going to give us a handful of things here, five things here between verses 21 and 26. And to begin, let's read verses 21 and 22 again. So let's look at them again. Look at your Bibles, 21 through 22. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So right there in verse 22, we see the first two things that the Bible means by to live is Christ. And you can see them both for yourself. In verse 22, first, it's simple, but notice, it's interesting. In verse 22, right, after, right away after Paul says to live is Christ, then in the next verse, he writes in the Bible that to live is Christ is, quote, to live in the flesh. So to live is Christ is to keep living in the flesh. And it's simple, but that's also really helpful, and I'm pretty sure intentional by the Apostle Paul, because to live is Christ can sound so lofty. And perhaps so otherworldly. But Paul, right after saying to live is Christ, right away goes against this unattainable, otherworldly notion by saying that it's still a life in the flesh. Meaning to live is Christ is still an existence in the flesh where we get tired, we get tempted, where we get hungry, where we're still human beings. And so this right away, Paul wants us to know about what it means to live as Christ. To live as Christ is to live in the flesh. That leads to the second thing about what we see to live as Christ. And it's in the same verse. You can see it. To live as Christ means fruitful labor. See that in verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So to live as Christ means fruitful labor. It might be helpful here, though, for a minute to define what the Bible kind of means by that phrase, because 
Maybe if we're honest, when we hear the word fruitful labor written by the Apostle Paul, we might think of this big missionary work or just ministry work. And although it may be true that for Paul, that was kind of how it applied in many ways, but I want to point out that these words don't necessarily need to be translated to mean anything like explicit ministry work or missionary work. Instead, these two words, fruitful labor, are both pretty generic words. For example, the word fruitful is just the idea of being full of fruit, which is similar to the idea of Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, right? Or Philippians 1.11, where we find out of the fruit of righteousness. So being fruitful just, re- just refers to the fact that God, that God's Spirit is producing in you characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit. So that's fruitful. But then the word labor is also a generic word. And to be honest, uh, labor isn't my favorite translation here because it can sound so formal, right? But to say something's labor. But this really, in the original language, is just the most generic word for work or even action. And so really, almost anything you do can fall under this category of work or action or, or labor. And so with all that explained, perhaps now you're seeing what this fruitful labor means. To live as Christ means fruitful labor. And all that means is God is producing fruit in you. And then, therefore, you're going and living and acting in this world for Christ. So that's just verse 22. And there Paul explained two different things of what to live as Christ looks like. In verse 23, he goes back to this desire to depart and be with Christ. We'll come back to that. But then in verses 24 and 26, he picks up and he says three more things about what it means to live as Christ. Let's read those again. Verses 24 through 26. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So first, to live as Christ, to live in the flesh. Second, it's fruitful labor. And then third here, we now see that living as Christ means that you are progressing in the faith. You see that? I'm getting this from verse 24. I know that I will remain and continue with you all, meaning I will live. I will continue to live. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. And so Paul's saying that he knows he'll stay with them for their progress in the faith. And implied here is that for all of us, To be a Christian means that we progressively become more and more like Jesus. And that word progress is the same as what he used in 112. If you remember that, Paul said his imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. It's the same word, to progress the gospel. And so what he's saying here is that to live as Christ also involves a continual advancement or progress of the gospel in your own life. He wants that for the Philippians. But we know that's true of him, and it's also true of us. There's gospel progress to be made as we continue to live as Christ. Or, as the Bible calls it elsewhere, there's sanctification to happen. That's the fancier word. It just means to become more holy, to live lives of less sin and more love, all like Jesus. And so that's part of what it means to live as Christ. There's progress for us, and we help others in that as well. And so, so far, if you're tracking, I know this is a lot, we've seen three things. It means to be in the flesh, fruitful labor, to progress in the faith. But that finally leads us to the last two things about what does it look like to live as Christ. 
And I think these are climactic, which is why they're the final two things in our passage. And one's at the end of verse 25, and then one's in verse 26. So first, look at the end of verse 25. To live as Christ is to make progress in the faith, but even more so, it's to have joy in the faith. You see that joy in the faith. And notice, Paul puts this after progress. It's progress and it's joy in the faith. So the goal is progress, but yes, it's not just progress for progress's sake. And so often, if we're honest, I think us Christians can kind of think of holiness like that, that we just need to progress, that that's the goal. But that's not true. Even more important is what this progress produces, and that's joy in the faith. And literally, in the original language, it just says joy of faith, meaning joy that springs from faith. We believe and trust in Jesus more and more. And so, as that happens, we start to have more and more of a a genuine joy, a joy that's different than the world offers, a a Jesus-is-better type of joy. And I want you to see that this is an idea in the Bible elsewhere, too, because it's so important that the Bible really views us having a unique joy as part of Christian living. And to see this elsewhere, if you'd like, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just a few books to the left, probably like 20 pages or so in your Bible. And we go here, 2 Corinthians 1, 24, because this is another place where the Bible explains what, what it really is like to be a Christian, what Paul really wants for God's people and the Bible says this, this is 2 Corinthians 1.24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. So you can see that same desire here. It's interesting. We work with you. The apostles are saying we're here trying to help you in your faith. Why? For your joy. And so the Christian life isn't just to advance in our faith and our holiness, but in that advancement, our goal is to have a joy that springs from more faith and more holiness. It's to become more joyful people. Why? Because that sort of joy is unique. It shows the world that this is all real, and it honors Christ. Which finally brings us to our fifth and last characteristic of what it means to live as Christ. For this, turn back with me to Philippians 1, if you're not there yet, Philippians 1. And that's Finally, that to live as Christ looks like living a life that glorifies Christ. And you see that in verse 26. Let's read that one last time. Paul says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So you can see the desire here. He wants to labor and love them. Why? So they can progress in the faith. So they can have more joy in the faith. And all for the glory of Christ. And so that fittingly concludes kind of our investigation of what does it really look like to say to live as Christ? And now hopefully we can come back to our famous verse 21 and feel what the Bible is really saying, feel the force of what it means to live as Christ. As we saw last week, of course it means that we believe that our lives are all because of Christ, we're sustained by Christ, and we're all living for Christ. But now we can give some detail into what that really looks like. And just as kind of as a side note, I just want to say that as I was preparing this message and thinking about what the Bible might say about what it really looks like to live as Christ, I honestly didn't expect to find all the things that we just found there in even just those five verses. Because what we just saw there 
are really all the major, almost all the major elements of true Christian living. I mean, we've got the fact there that we're still in the flesh. We've got the fact that God is graciously bearing fruit through us by his spirit and we're acting in the world for the Lord. We've got the fact that we're to progress in the faith and we're supposed to help others progress in the faith. So that's holiness, that's love. And we've got the fact that it's for our joy and for the glory of God. That's all just in verses 21 through 26. And so brothers and sisters, let's take the call to live as Christ and, and really apply it. Let's be people who, of course, quote and love Philippians 1.21 to live as Christ, but not just say it vaguely, but really mean it and, and act like it. So I encourage you, even right now, to look at those five characteristics of what to live as Christ looks like and, and ask yourself, what do I need to work on? Or which one of those do I need to focus on? Is it the idea of fruitful labor? Is it the idea of really trying to progress and be more holy in the faith? Is it joy in the faith? Is it living for Jesus' glory and not your own glory? And so we'll come back and apply this more at the end of our message. But apply it to yourself right now because we want to say to live is Christ. And what that means is while we're still in the flesh, we're working and producing fruit for the Lord by his grace that we're trying to help others progress in the faith. We're trying to love people. We're trying to have more joy for the glory of the Lord. That's what it means to live is Christ. But now that leads us to our second question. And our second question is, okay, so that's what it looks like to live as Christ, but what does it look like now to say to die is gain? And this one's a little more brief, and we covered it a little bit last week, but it's briefer only because Paul only really talks about it in that one verse, in verse 23. Yeah, even in just that one verse, there's a couple beautiful and really encouraging things for us to consider. So that said, let's now read uh, verse 23 together, verse 23. So to die is gain, and then Paul says in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So we covered this a little bit last week, because remember, there we saw Paul saying that he was feeling like this because it was really honoring to Jesus. But this week, I really want us to focus and spend just some time on the beauty of what's here. Take those two phrases, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, and that is far better, Because in these two phrases, we're going to see, if we really believe that and live like that, we're going to really see what it would mean to be somebody who says, to die is gain. So let's begin with that phrase, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And we begin by saying that to die and be with Christ, apparently, is a desire. You see that, my desire. So it's a desire. To say to die is gain is a desire. And so it's a desire for what? To go and depart and be with Christ. And this, as we said last week, is why Paul sees death as gain. Because he really believes, and the Bible really teaches, that when he dies, he departs, and then he's with Christ. And on the one hand, right, this is Christianity almost 101. Jesus is real, and, and when we die, we go and be with him. Without our bodies, because they'll be in the grave for the time being, but we really do depart, and we go be with Christ. And of course, as we've been saying, and we said a few weeks ago, it needs to be said that although this departing and being with Christ is what happens when we die, it isn't our final home. Instead, Christianity has always been unique in that we believe that we die and depart and go be with Christ, but then we also believe in the future resurrection of the body and the renewal of the earth. And so that's our final home when we finally come back and be with him here forever. But all that's Christianity 101. And again, 
On the one hand, I think probably most of us get that. But I actually want to dig a little bit deeper into what Paul's saying here in verse 23, because on the other hand, this might be something, if we're honest, that we've heard so long or believed for so long that we tend to forget how real it is. How real this really is. And here's what I mean. That, think about the verb that Paul uses there. That word is just depart. It's an action verb. It just means to leave. To depart, to leave. And so Paul's saying that what happens when he dies is he's going to leave and he's going to be with Christ. And what we need to say, see here is that this isn't, that word depart isn't some confusing word. It just means to leave. <laughs> it just means to go somewhere else. And here's why I emphasize this so much, because it needs to be stressed that the Bible here is really making a point that at death, something happens to you that's real. And it's as real as you and I departing those sanctuary doors in 30 or so minutes. Because when that happens, you'll walk out those doors and you'll be outside. And we can use lofty language and say something like, you will depart and then you will be outside. Or we can just call it what it is. You'll leave this room, and in reality, you'll be outside. You'll know it. You'll be conscious. You'll be standing in the fresh air. You'll walk to your car. You might go home. You might go out for lunch. All because at a certain moment, you departed the sanctuary. You left. And so it is with what the Bible is saying here. As there will be a time in, in 30 or so minutes where you walk out of this building and leave this room, so there will be a time when you die. And if you trust in Jesus, something really happens at that moment. It's like leaving this room and going outside into the fresh air, except what will happen is that you will leave here and go and really be with Jesus. Now, what exactly that looks like we only have glimpses in our Bibles, but what we do know is that it's far better, as we're about to see. What we do know is it's really, quote, with Christ. And so I encourage each one of us to really believe this, and I mean it, like really believe it as a fact. Because <laughs> it's a beautiful thing that this is real. This isn't some vague, I hope that is the case when I die. No, Jesus' resurrection proves that this is real, and so does the testimony of God's spirit in us. Jesus is real, our God is real. He really loves us, and when we die, we leave. We just leave. And where do we go? To him. It's just like leaving this room. I want to emphasize, in essence, it's nothing fancier than that. It's the same verb. It's just leaving, but it's leaving to be with Christ. And as a side note, I just want to add here that this also is the reason why us Bible-believing Christians can say with a firm belief that the Bible doesn't teach what some have called soul sleep, and the Bible also doesn't teach purgatory. As for soul sleep, soul sleep is, is the belief that when we die, we're unconscious until Jesus returns. And some Christians, when they hear the Bible, use the analogy in the term of sleep for death, assume that maybe the Bible's teaching this. But honestly, it doesn't. Instead, being asleep at death was an ancient idiom. It was just a saying that they used to describe what somebody looked like when they were asleep or when they were dead because it looked like they were asleep. And the reason especially is because back then they honestly saw more uh, dead people than we do today. And something they decided of calling it was when they saw somebody who was dead, it looked like they were sleeping 
So everyone agrees this is an ancient idiom to call somebody who had passed away asleep. But what we need to see is that the Bible teaches here very clearly that when you die, there is no unconscious sleeping time. Instead, you die and you leave and go be with Christ. And this is even clearer, in case you want more proof, this is even clearer with Jesus and the thief on the cross. Because as you know, they're both dying there on the cross and they die that day. And Jesus says to him, a newly converted Christian at the time, and Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so the Bible does not teach any form of what people call soul sleep. And the same argument stands against the unbiblical idea of purgatory as well. Because you notice, Paul says he's going to leave and depart and be with Christ. And he's not going to be purged any degree before he can go be with Christ. And if you think, well, that's true of Paul, like some people argue this, that's true of Paul because he's so holy, again, consider the thief on the cross. Because if there was anybody, any person who you would think would need to be purged of sins before he could go into Jesus' presence, you would think it would be the thief on the cross who was converted just like an hour before his death. But again, Jesus is clear to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that's a side note, but let's, church, let's not believe in any sort of soul sleep or any sort of purgatory. Instead, amazingly, the moment we die, because of grace, because of the gospel, we leave here. And we're with Christ. So that's the first thing about what it means to say to die is gain. My desire is to part and be with Christ. That now leads to the second thing here in verse 23. And that's how Paul says at the end there, you can see it. He says that that is far better. And to, to, to say to die is gain means you believe the reality that when you die here, you're going to depart and be with Christ. But not only that, it also means that we believe that when that happens, it's far better. Because that's the emphasis Paul puts here at the end of verse 23. And even more important, interesting in the original language, and I wish they kept this, Paul uses here three comparatives or intensifiers here. Three It's over the top. One word he uses that means much. Another word he uses that means more. And another word he uses that means better. And so literally the text reads, that is much more better. He couldn't have said it any stronger. And so he's using three intensifiers to show how much better this really is. And so we won't elaborate on this since we did a lot last week. But this clearly is included in what it means to be able to say to die is gain. Because if we don't believe it's gain, or we won't believe, if we don't believe it's better, then we won't see it as gain. And so once again, the Bible directs us here to, to weigh our lives and to weigh being with Jesus. And not to say, oh, I guess Jesus is better. Instead, because Paul uses three intensifiers here, the Bible's leading us to say, you know what? To be with Christ is so, so, so much better. It's much more better. And so in sum, what does it look like now to be someone who can genuinely say to die is gain? It means believing that when you die, you're simply leaving to be with Christ. And it's to know that that is really much more better. But one more caveat before we uh, finally come and apply this to ourselves practically. And that's by saying that notice that although Paul is very clear At his death, he knows this will happen. And that at his death, this will be much more better. Notice, he never once 
insinuates that because it's so much better, he will take this decision into his own hands. And this needs to be said because it's amazing. I love this, how consistently helpful the Bible is on things like this. Because logically, someone could say, well, I believe this. And since I love Jesus and I want to be with Jesus and I believe it's so much better, I'm going to take my own life so that that could happen, so I can be with Jesus. But that's exactly the opposite of what we see from the Bible here and elsewhere. Instead, the Bible says, yes, to die and be with Jesus is better, but he's the one who in his own wisdom and love will decide when that happens. And because that's why you can see it. That's why we went over it. That's why Paul is so torn here. Because <laughs> he knows if he dies, that's, that's better. But he also knows that what is going to happen to him isn't up to him. <laughs> it's up to Christ. And there's never a hint here or anywhere in his writings that he thinks he should take this into his own hands. Instead, he trusts the Lord with it. And so we need to be clear about this too. And again, this is so great how helpful the Bible is here because think of it this way. We, need, we all want and need this balance. We want this deep in our bones. On the one hand, we want to know that when we die, it will be far better. Yes, we should enjoy this life and love all God has given us. The Bible talks about those things as well. And yet, none of us want to fear death. And we all know that we were made for so much more. And so, We all, deep in our bones, want to know what happens in death. We want to know that when we die, it's better. And yet also, we need the balance of being told that that decision from when we pass to this life isn't ultimately our decision at all. Instead, it's up to Christ himself. It's up to our God, who, as the Old Testament says, numbers our days. And so it's beautiful. We get the benefit of, on the one hand, knowing what happens when we die, knowing we're going to be with Christ, knowing it's far better. On the other hand, we don't have to fret about when that happens or how that happens. Instead, we get to trust in our God. And so that's our text. What does it look like to be able to say to live as Christ? It means living in the flesh, having God produce fruitful labor in our lives, progressing in the faith, more joy in the faith, all for the glory of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, to live is Christ. And what does it mean to be able to say to die is gain? Well, it's a desire. And it's a desire that comes from the assurance that when you die, it's just like leaving. Leaving this room, similar, except you're leaving to be with Christ. And the Bible says that is far, far, far better. To die is gain. But now that leads us to close by practically applying this to ourselves. And there are many ways that we could have done this, but as we close, I was struck as I was preparing this and studying this passage how much this applies to us in our current culture, by how countercultural really these ideas of life and death are from what we saw from the scriptures here. And here's what I mean. We live in a time and age, as we all know, where these two realities of life and death are just treated so differently than what we just read. For example, think of how our culture views the purpose of life and life and the good life. Many people for for years now have noted that the Western ideal of the good life has become now personal prosperity and comfort. Personal prosperity and comfort. And think about how true that is. We want a lot of things and money and stuff to consume and we want to be entertained and comfortable. Now to be clear, this isn't everyone or everything. 
There's still a lot of beauty and love and family and sacrifice in our culture. And I want to sound like someone who's just bashing everything in our culture. But isn't it true that so much concerning what we see about what it means to live What we see on our phones, on social media, and the news and entertainment, so much of it comes down to acquiring money and stuff and just being entertained and having a good time. And so in many ways, according to our culture, the culture's motto is to live as personal prosperity and comfort. But now compare that with the purpose and reason to be alive that the Bible gives us here when we know that in reality to live is Christ. It's so much bigger than this shallow purpose of just my own prosperity and my own comfort. It's about Christ. It's about being saved and caught up into this grand global purpose of the entire universe. It's it's still living in the flesh, yes, but it's bearing fruit by God's very help. It's progressing in the faith, looking more like Jesus. It's loving others. It's having a joy that's different than anything in the world. It's living for the glory of Jesus and not yourself. Brothers and sisters, that's a reason to really be alive. And so we apply it to live as Christ by believing it over the to live as personal prosperity and comfort motto of our culture. We see that every day on our phones, on our social media feeds, on our news apps, on our TV shows every day. We're to enjoy God's good gifts. We are to be thankful for all he's given us. Amen. But overall, we say no to the personal prosperity and comfort reason to be alive. Instead, we say to me to live as Christ. And the same, of course, goes for to die as gain. Because if life is flippant in our culture, then death is often more just something that isn't talked about much or is dismissed. It's something that we don't really want to pay much attention to. And that's one reason among many reasons why this pandemic has been so jarring to our culture. Because we live in a you only live once, a YOLO culture where the overall assumption is materialistic and naturalistic. Well, the overall assumption is this is all there is. We live, and then we die, and that's it. And so that being the case, death becomes something that no one really wants to talk about. (laughs) Of course, we still weep at it like Jesus, because death is horrible, but our culture almost doesn't know how to handle it. But now compare that to what we saw here in Philippians 1. Again, the Bible emphasizes that death is tragic, and the Bible is very clear that we never take it into our own hands, and yet, the Bible is also beautiful in that we Christians do not fear death. Why? Because we know what's coming when we die, and knowing is huge, but not only that, we also know that what happens is truly so much better. And so, death is something that, just like everyone else, we know is coming, Unless the Lord returns, we all know that we are going to die, but it's also something that we know that when our God does grant it to happen to us, we can say, amen. I am saved in the gospel of Christ. I'm going to a better place. As Jesus says, today I will be with him in paradise, and all in all, I'm just leaving. I'm leaving to be with Christ. And as the Bible says, that is far Far, far better. Amen? Let's pray.